Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Hello, this is Brian Smith. This is my podcast. Welcome. Today, we're going to talk to Jason Moore. Jason is the editor on this podcast. He's also a producer and a consultant. He's been involved from the very beginning, and he is going to talk to us today about his background and why he got involved in this project. And he's also going to ask me questions about my background and why I got involved. And our hope is through this conversation to help the audience understand who's behind the scenes, why we do what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish through these interviews. So please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Jason Moore. We're live. We're live. Live from Yakima. <laughs> it is Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Gotta love Yakima. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're here uh, talking to Jason Moore, who is my producer on the Dream Path podcast and has been from the beginning. Uh, he's also an editor and a consultant and a friend and a family member as well. So uh, we're here to talk about our work on the podcast and how it all came together. And um, I'll open it up to uh, ask the first question to Jason. And um, what I'm curious about is why you decided to get involved in this project of helping me with the podcast and what, you know, what you were hoping to get out of this experience. That's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I love podcasts and I love the idea of being creative and putting something tangible together for other people to uh, listen to and learn from. This is always, there's always ways to improve your skill set, like things that you've learned as far as doing the audio work and recording, which is a passion of mine. And this is a great opportunity to, to keep me involved in that and to improve on my abilities to do it. Yeah. And so, that's, that's kind of what I hope to, you know, basically gain out of it. Plus, I, I learn a lot by doing it, hearing your guests, hearing you. I learn, I learn a lot about you and I learn a lot about your guests and it's very interesting to me. Yeah. So tell us about your, your background with audio recording and um, engineering that gave you the skill set to be able to work on this podcast. Well, it goes back. I mean, if I think about the first recording I ever made, I was, uh, <laughs> I got, uh, my brother and I got tape recorders when we were, when I was nine, he was five. And just from the moment I had one of those, it was just an obsession to record everything, to make fake radio shows, to just be goofy and make sound effects and goof around. And the first idea I ever had to make music, I think I saw a program on TV on how they recorded music. And I got this idea one day that I would take both of those tape recorders. I made this little drum set out of a lunch pail and some buckets, and I recorded a drum beat. And I set it next to the other tape recorder, played that, and recorded a guitar part onto that. <laughs> and back and forth. Multi-track recording. Yeah, multi-track recording. But it sounded like crap. I mean, it really did sound terrible. But over time, I learned how to do it a little better. And then I got into radio. And when I got into radio, that's when you really learn how to do uh, analog. It was analog. Then it wasn't digital. There was no computers. So two tape machines and being able to you know do the voice and then put a bed on it and mix it all together and make commercials, make PSAs. And that kind of started me in the the whole idea of, oh, I could take this to the, a different level and do songs with this. And that's kind of what I've been doing since. And when the computer world came out and all these programs started coming out like Cakewalk, Cool Edit Pro, 
and N-Track Studio multi-track recording, it makes it so easy. And since probably 1999, 2000, that's all I've been doing is messing with that. And, uh, um, just getting better and better over the years, you yeah. know, and the programs are getting better and better over the years and all of the plugins that come with it are getting a lot better and better and everything's starting to gel now in the digital recording area. Um, you can do a lot, you can do a lot. You don't even have to have a band. You don't have to have an orchestra section anymore. It's all just on this little keyboard and a computer. And it's, it's amazing what's going on out there right now. Right. So do you find that your, your skill set is easily transferable over to the podcast world, your musical recording uh, experience? Yeah. Cause it's set up kind of similar, you know, you've got, it's, you know, multiple different tracks that you've got to mix together to make it all the finished product. And yeah, that's how you do it. So where do you see this podcast going um, in terms of your vision? I know that um, it's pretty early on in the, mm-hmm. in the process, um, but from based on what you've seen so far, where do you see this going and what do you see maybe uh, what our challenges might be over the next uh, six months to a year? Um, well, I, I see it in, in my eyes, I see it getting better and better and better. And I'm, and that's my hope is that we can do a wide range of, of stuff and, and the challenges. I, there's so many podcasts out there. <laughs> you're, it's a constant challenge. I would think that you're trying to sort of, I don't think you're, you're trying to beat the guy or whatever, or get a, you know, better than everybody else, but at least get in there into that notch mm-hmm. where you're, well, you're trying re- to be heard and seen in a sea of literally 750,000 exactly. podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, when you start off with a grassroots um, effort like mm-hmm. we've done, it's a challenge. I mean, what, finding guests is one thing, uh, figuring out the technology. Okay. That's another challenge. But really I think our biggest challenge as I see it is getting the word out in a way that where we're going to uh, have subscribers and downloads and listeners uh, that will allow us to keep going. Yeah, uh, because it, it seems like there's so many things that are competing with us right now. In addition to the 750,000 podcasts that are probably that number is even higher at this point, but yeah, probably, um, you know, in terms of the demand on people's time, I see, you know, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, uh, network television is still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, for now, just, yeah, for now it's still <laughs> there, uh, barely hanging on, but people's attention and social media. I mean, people spend hours just looking at social media every day. So how do you break through that, um, that noise and all of that content to be seen and heard? And I think the jury's still out on how we're going to do that, but I think you're right. Um, but you know, the way I, I look at it is. All we have control over. We we don't have control over whether somebody is going to uh, find us on a Google search or in the iTunes podcast store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all we can do is talk to people that we're genuinely curious about and want to know more about people who are good storytellers and are quality interviews. And so, if we have quality content, it's almost like Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner, you know, mm-hmm. build, build it and they will come. Right. And, uh, that, so I, I look at the podcast as let's just do our thing. 
Right. And try to be the best we possibly can with what we have to work with. Right. And hopefully over time we'll gain, you know, an audience that will um, allow us to keep going for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. So um, we were going to do like a, I thought we were going to do like a Q and a, like, yeah, I get to ask you. Some sure. Yeah. Too. Ask me some questions, man. Okay. Cause I do have a few. All right. Okay. Shoot. Not, nothing, nothing too personal. Um, I'm okay question. with personal. Well, to a, to a point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've, I've heard you talk in your podcast and in your solo cast that you originally wanted to be an architect. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. my question is what, at what point in your life did you make that turn in the road from going into architecture to uh, law? Well, architecture was one of any number of um, dreams that I had when I was younger. And I think that started in junior high and high school when I was taking drafting classes. And, mm-hmm. and I realized um, that I was good at it, you know, and um, I never got into the CAD drafting or anything like that. It was all just pencil and paper. Um, but it was, um, I think it, what it did is it, tapped into uh, the creative part of my brain mm-hmm. uh, that sparked an interest in doing something creative. And so I really didn't even really, I, I didn't really know uh, what architecture meant from a creative standpoint, but it just sort of tickled that part of my uh, brain where I was like, well, maybe this is something that I could actually do and make a living at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never really pursued it. But I did stay in the arts um, in college. I took painting classes and sculpture and drawing. And um, I, I wasn't great at painting, but I was good enough to sell one at a, at a show one time. I think it's still hanging up at Yakima Valley Community College. Nice. It's a, painting, a black and white painting, a portrait of uh, John Houston. Nice. The film director. Yeah. Um, so I've always enjoyed the arts and music. And I've been a musician mm-hmm. from, since I was young, I played piano and then guitar. And then I was in a band and you, you remember uncle squirrely. Oh, I do. Um, and the dirt farmers. <laughs> the dirt farmers. And of course my audience has no idea who <laughs> uncle squirrely or the dirt farmers are, but that those were my bands that I was in played guitar and wrote songs. And I don't think I ever sang in those bands, but, uh, I always had an interest in, things that were creative and performance related, even though I was afraid of performing, um, I had a healthy fear of, uh, you know, healthy stage fright, mm. but it didn't stop me from playing shows with my band and, and also getting into law where, uh, I, I am a trial attorney, um, and I do have to perform, so to speak in the courtroom, right. get up in front of juries. And that is, I found the, the practice of law this is kind of a, a longer conversation probably that we can have later in terms of how I got into the law when I was sort of on an arts path at the beginning. But the way I see it, practicing law allows for creativity mm. because what you're doing, especially when you're representing individuals who are up against impossible odds, um, maybe they are up against a, big insurance company that's trying to deny their claim or to put a low value on their claim. Or in my case, um, I go up against the Catholic church. About half of my practice or more now is related to, uh, suing the Catholic church for childhood sexual abuse by clergy. So 
when you represent people who have been through trauma and you have to somehow translate that trauma and that story into a narrative that results in justice for them somehow. Um, that process I find to be a creative process because you're, you're actually finding the story it's in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And how do you do it? How do you find someone's story? Well, you have to talk to them. You have to interview them. You have to be empathic. You have to be a good listener. And, um, you have to let that story come out organically. You can't impose your own narrative or your own understanding upon their journey. And so I, I think what I've found with the practice of law is that I got pretty good at that aspect of finding people's stories. You know, over 20 years, uh, I would find my own client's story through interviewing them. And then I would, when I'm talking to witnesses in a deposition, I want to know what their story is. Okay. You saw this crash happen at, at this intersection. You know, I mean, I, I really want to know from their standpoint, what they saw, what they heard, what they, uh, felt in that situation. Um, and I, you know, I tr take that approach with everybody that I talk to in, within the context of litigation and a lawsuit. So, uh, fast forward to the podcast. I started this podcast and this is sort of going beyond, I think the scope of your original question, but I started the podcast as a way for me to tap into uh, my own creativity again, after many years of, uh, focusing on litigation and lawyering and lawsuits. Um, but to have sort of a, a pure, uh, interaction with artists and people that are doing just that mm -hmm. for a living and making money at it. Yeah. And they're putting food on the table and they're putting their kids through college and they're paying for their retirement. And it's, it's like, wow, mm -hmm. how, how did you do that? You know, how did you, uh, manage to do something that creative and that specific and turn it into a career? And so I, that's, that's why I started this podcast and, um, I feel like the skill set that I gained over the last 20 years as an attorney has really helped me be a, a better listener when I'm talking to just regular folks right. you know, who have their own journey to tell me about. And then I want to know about that. And I, I hope my listeners want to know about that too. Well, I think they do. I, that was actually going to be my next question is, uh, at what what point did you get the idea of this podcast? Like when did that happen? Well, there was a certain degree of burnout that I was feeling last year. Um, and over the last couple of years in terms of, um, the work that I was doing as an attorney traveling all over the country, representing abuse survivors. There's a, I mean, you, you listen to enough stories of trauma and it kind of weighs on you. You know, it's, it's hard not either you get desensitized to it and it doesn't bother you because you're not feeling what you should be feeling as a human being, mm -hmm. just a natural defense mechanism. I think that we have, or you feel it so much that it starts to have an impact on your life in a bad way, you know? Yeah. And so 
I, um, I started thinking about ways to do something different, you know, and what does that mean? And I, I love podcasting. I mean, I love podcasts in general, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listen to, uh, Tim Ferriss and Mark Marin right. and, um, uh, of course, Terry Gross, Fresh Air on NPR and, you know, all of the NPR related podcasts and, um, this American life is another one that I sort of grew up with. And I never really thought as I was listening to those podcasts, like, Hey, this is something that I could do. But as I started to feel the weight of the, my practice, my law practice coming down on me and feeling, feeling a little bit like suffocated in a way. Um, and I started looking for something else to do creatively. Um, somehow it just came to me. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should start a podcast. And so I talked to my oldest daughter's ex college roommate and, and good friend, Tanin Jahanbani. And, uh, we, we've been friends ever since they've been friends. So whenever, when I met Tanin in uh, Seattle, when they were dorm mates at university of Washington, we just instantly had a, a connection. She's super funny. And so we just stayed in touch even after they graduated from college and, um, Tanin went back down to Southern California. We stayed in touch. And, um, so I think I was messaging her on social media one night and I told her about my idea to start a podcast and you know what the name was going to be. I, I don't think I actually told her what the name of the podcast was, but the theme was going to be talking to artists about their journeys. And, um, she, she was actually the, the first person outside of my family. I think my wife was the first person who told me, yeah, you should do this. But Tanin was the first person outside of my family to say, fuck yeah, you should do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she this. was very enthusiastic about it um, and excited. Well, and, didn't she hook you up with one of the guests? Yeah. Yeah. So she actually uh, suggested that I talk to her friend and she didn't say her name at the time when we were messaging. She's like, Hey, I've got a friend. She's actually my best friend from high school. She uh, directed a documentary short called period end of sentence. Mm. And it's really good. You got to watch it and you got to talk to her. And I said, heck yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd love to talk to her. So that was, I think, Oh, spring of spring or, or early summer of 2018. And so it was just an idea at that point. Right. I didn't have any of the infrastructure set up. I didn't know what the name of the podcast would be. I, you know, I didn't even know how to start that process. So, uh, fast forward a couple of months, I'm visiting my friend, one of my best friends in the world, Brent Morgan. Uh, he was down in Santa Monica. He had a place in Santa Monica and, um, I hadn't seen him for many years. I had been in touch with him by phone and text message, uh, but it had been years and years since we'd seen each other and said, I was, I was staying at his house for a couple of days. I was down there for work and, um, we were talking just hours and hours, uh, over several days catching up and doing what best friends do, uh, which is, you know, you, when you start talking to somebody that you haven't seen in many years, maybe a decade, but they're, they're connected to you through childhood. Um, and they're, you know, you were best friends as a kid when you start talking to that person, there's no awkwardness. 
right there. You're not, you're not like, Oh geez, we're going to talk about next. No, there's a certain level of comfort that's yeah. instilled already. Yeah. And it's, it's as if you had never been apart, you yeah. know, that's what it feels like. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're all, we, we're all, if we have one friend like that in the world, you're very lucky. So this is that, that's the type of friend uh, that Brent is or was, um, he ended up killing himself. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He, oh, he, yes. He, um, sorry. He, yeah. He, Jeez. he, uh, took his life this year. And, um, but that conversation I had with him was unforgettable because Brent was, um, the type of guy that everybody around him is like sort of in awe about, you know, like extremely driven and ambitious and accomplished more in his short 46 years on this earth, uh, 47 years maybe, um, than most people accomplish in a whole lifetime or multiple lifetime, multiple lifetimes. And, uh, he was a multimillionaire. He had retired at age 40. He had basically everything that people on the outside would think he would ever want to be happy, you know, but he suffered from from mental illness and from specifically from uh, really profound disabling depression. That's too bad. And, uh, yeah. It was just yeah something that I, at the time did not know about. Um, in hindsight, when I look back on that couple of days that we spent together, I can see it, you know, in hindsight, but at the time I didn't. And mm. so it's, it's something that kind of haunts me uh, to this day, but but going back to the conversation that we had, uh, we were talking on his porch and uh, having dinner and I brought up the idea of the podcast and this is September, 2018. And he listened to podcasts and he listened to Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and a few others. And, and I told him the idea, the concept of it, talking to artists, talking to creatives about their journeys into the arts. And, and he was like, Brian, you have to do this. You, he's like, I'm serious. You have to do this. Don't let anybody stop you from doing it. I will be your number one fan. I will listen to your, your episodes. I will tell people about it, you know, do this thing is you, you'd be great at it. So you had Tawning, uh, you know, Whitney's friend from college, you have Brent, my best friend, um, saying, do this thing. And my wife who was very encouraging. And, um, and it, uh, fast forward to Sundance Film Festival. I'm there with my wife. It's January 2019. And I am posting on social media, I think, some pictures of my wife and I at various events at the, at the festival. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And Tani messages me and says, Brian, Rike Zatapchi, my friend who directed period, end of sentence, her film is at Sundance right now. And it turns out that it was it was playing at one of these side events that's associated with the festival. And, um, so my wife and I went to see it. So we see this 24 minute documentary and are blown away. And it, and I think the whole audience was. And so I was super excited because at this point I've seen Rika's work and I am really motivated to put this podcast together mm -hmm. so that I can talk to her. And, um, so Tani, messages me again and she's like, she's in, she wants to do it. But by this time, the logistics got a little more difficult of interviewing Rika because, 
Uh, Netflix had bought the documentary, I think in December. And also she had been nominated for an Oscar for mm -hmm. best documentary short. So when you're nominated for an Academy Award, um, you are on a campaign. Basically, I found this out when I interviewed her that it turns into uh, sort of a press junket type of thing where you're flying all over the place and you're doing interviews and trying to get the word out about your film. And so I, I made uh, contact with Rika and we um, started talking about timing and realized that it just wasn't going to be possible to do the interview before the Academy Awards. It would have to be afterwards. And she said, don't worry, just think of how cool it will be if I actually have an Academy Award, you know, when we're, when we're talking and I'm like, you're right, that would be fantastic. So let's be patient, let her get her uh, press stuff done. And then we can talk after the, the ceremony. Anyway, uh, she won, as you know, yep. and, uh, and so she graciously, even though she was extremely busy after the, the ceremony and the, um, you know, receiving the award, uh, she agreed to meet with me and that resulted in being uh, interview number two. So she was guest number two in episode three, cause the first episode was my intro. Uh, so that's how I found Rika. And that's how that episode came to be. And uh, the first episode, Hibba Jamil, was also through a, a friend, an acquaintance, uh, someone that I had worked with and who knew, knew Hibba and connected me with her. And, and, and I think it was a perfect way to start the podcast. Yeah. You know, someone who has a story that deep and layered, mm -hmm. you know, traveling as a refugee all the way from Iraq, you know, to the United States and then to the Pacific Northwest, um, really harrowing story. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I cannot ask for better content than that. You know, someone's, someone's journey who has been through something that most of my audience can only imagine happening in movies, right? You know, when it happened to her in real life and she's telling us about it. Um, so I found it inspiring and, um, I was so grateful to, to hear that face to face. And, um, that's why I love doing these interviews face to face too, is you're in the moment with this person, you're making a connection with them. And I think that the audience, the listeners can feel that too, when that connection is being made. And that's why I like to have that face to face contact whenever I can. And of course, we're not going to be able to do that with all of our interviews, uh, we're going to have to, just because of logistics and travel constraints and time constraints, we're probably going to have to do some of these by phone or Zoom, and that's probably going to work out fine. We can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're we're going to find that um, those are going to be just as compelling or maybe just compelling in different ways uh, as the face-to-face -face interviews. But, you know, my personal preference, just because of my career and the way I've practiced law, it's very hands-on. I like to be in the same room with a witness or with my client. You know, I, the, the phone conversation is great, but I really like that face-to-face -face contact to be able to make that connection and have just a better understanding of what they're telling me. Do you think that that sort of element in society is, is kind of not as much there anymore, the face-to-face? -face? Do you feel like it's mostly text and phone now? Yeah, I, I think that that is a sad reality that we're all facing in this tech world. 
you know, we're, we're looking at our screens more than we're looking at our friends and our family members. Also, I think the depth of our connections and our conversations that we're having is problematic. In, in other words, we're not really connecting with each other for whatever reason. I think technology, uh, technology is one of those reasons. But when you, when you sit down with someone in a podcast setting and you turn off your cell phone because you have to, because that's Jason's rule. <laughs> Jason, the, the editor says, you know, Brian, turn your goddamn <laughs> cell phone off, dude, because it creates interference. But what that also does is it stops all the notifications and all of the bullshit that comes through our phones and distracts us from the task at hand, which is making a connection with whoever you're with. Exactly. Um, so I think what happens in a good podcast is you have someone taking their time and they're not on a, they're not on a clock or a deadline and they organically establish a rapport with who they're talking to and they figure out what that person's story is. And it takes, it could take 30 minutes. It could take 20 minutes. It could take two hours or three hours. In Joe Rogan's case, you know, yeah. I mean, those are the marathon um, interviews, but you know, I think there's something refreshing about hearing a, a long form conversation happen like that because we are starved for that type of connection. You know, I, I really feel like we are terrible in, in the current culture at having long form anything. I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's like, you know, like we get resistance when we try to even talk to somebody on the phone. I, yeah. I mean, when I text my kids, that's their comfort zone. They much prefer that I text them over calling them. And when you call somebody, I mean, it's not just my kids, it's everybody. When you, when you call somebody out of the blue and you don't give them a warning that you're going to call them by a text message, it's almost like they take offense at it. Like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What kind of a monster are you? <laughs> they would actually want to talk to me on the phone. And so... And that bothers me mm -hmm. because you know what? I feel the same way too. It's making me feel that way. When someone calls me, you know, I think I have been acclimated to this tech sort of uh, vibe, Yep. this tech uh, mindset where we just want to be looking at our screens and we just want to be typing into our devices, looking at our laptops. We don't want to be pulled away from the screen. Mm -hmm. to talk on the phone and God forbid, you know, we don't want to be pulled away from the screen and the phone by being forced to look at someone in the face, <laughs> and actually have a real conversation with them. But when you, when you hear a real conversation happening that goes somewhere that usually conversations don't go, um, that's what I love about podcasts. And that's why I want to be a part of this world. And I, I, you know, I think that the, the podcast, uh, arena is saturated for sure, but there's just a few that have really risen to the top mm -hmm. in my opinion. I'm sure there's a lot of great podcasts out there, but the ones that I listen to and I'm aware of that do this, that make that connection, just a few of them, you know, and I, I want to be one of those podcasts that people look to and say, you know what? I may not even know the person that he's talking to, you know, Brian may be talking to an artist that 
uh, or a filmmaker or a writer that I haven't heard about before, but I'm going to learn something and it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be refreshing to actually hear and feel that connection being made in long form conversation. Well, I think you're doing a great job doing that and you've got some pretty good guests so far. I think my favorite two are the BJ Lederman and the Gerald Johnson. Yeah. Those, those are my two favorite ones. Those it's are because they're music related, I think. Yeah. And that they actually play on there, which is great. Well, yeah. You know, I, I found that those episodes were really exciting for me to be in at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like I felt, I felt the excitement when I walked in and I saw Gerald Johnson had his bass and his amp set up right on. You yeah. know, I was like, Whoa, this is fucking cool. You know, something awesome is going to happen here. And, and he started playing and he was playing an, an original tune and he was singing and, and I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is why I started this podcast. Mm -hmm. to be able to make this type of connection with someone who has made such a huge impact on um, the music world. And same thing with BJ Lederman. When I met him in a cafe in Asheville, rural Asheville, North Carolina, he had me meet him at his favorite diner. And I was there with my daughter and we're sitting down and, and all the wait staff there knew him. And I get to know him before we start the interview in this way. And then we started the interview completely uh, spontaneously on a hike in, right. in the woods in Asheville, North Carolina, which I didn't, I didn't know that that was going to happen. That was BJ's idea. So the fact that these two episodes are your favorites, I don't think is a coincidence. I think that the fact that there was some, something spontaneous happening that made them a little different. I think and, so. And unique. Yeah. That's, that's why they're some of my favorite episodes too. And, um, so I try to, and that's why I try to interview people in their creative space too. I think it lends itself to the guest being more comfortable, be more comfortable talking about their journey because they're in their own space. And let's say there happens to be an instrument in the room at that time you know, maybe they can pick up the instrument and play a little something or, um, it makes it just adds a little something special and unique to that episode. And that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. So in, in terms of the guests, the types of guests that we've talked to on this and we plan to talk to, uh, filmmakers, painters, musicians, um, are there other types of creatives that you want to see incorporated into our guest list. The reason I ask is that um, I have an opportunity to talk to a pretty famous person in the bagpipe world. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, this is a, a bagpipe, basically instructor, but also performer. And he has albums out and, you know, is kind of world-class in that arena. That would be interesting. Yeah. And, and I, I get, uh, connections made through friends and colleagues and, and through the people that I interview, you know, to talk to not just musicians, not just painters, but you know, people that are, I know that a bagpipe artist is a, or a bagpipe musician is a musician, but someone that's off the beaten path is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, someone who's in a creative space that is really not mainstream at all. So 
what are your thoughts about the, where we could take this in terms of the types of creatives that we could talk to? I think the sky's the limit on that. There's so many different forms of art out there and different types of creative energy being thrown around from all kinds of different people that I think we're going in the right direction. I don't think anything's off limits. Yeah. You know, a bagpipe guy, that sounds like fun, kind of. <laughs> I'm yeah. not the hugest fan of bagpipes, but I think they're an interesting instrument. Yeah. But yeah, I think that th this could go anywhere. Yeah. And, and if you just sit down with actors, I mean, actors are cool. And especially if they've had a resume of good work and they can talk about people they've worked with and directors they worked with. I lean more towards like the musician guys or the producers and stuff like that. That would interest me, but that's not where it's not all about me. Right. I have some opportunities to interview people that are doing types of visual art that I didn't even know existed. Hmm. Uh, working with neon, working with glass. Yeah. Uh, I knew that glass art existed, but the way that it's being done is mind blowing. Um, so what I'm excited about is learning more about the art that is out there and that the, uh, the artists who are creating it, how they're making a living doing it and how they found that type of art. Um, so that's, what's exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, have you, um, have you ever considered or even tried to contact co comics? That's a, that's an interesting art form. And those are very interesting people. Comics. Yeah. Well, I absolutely want to talk to comics because that has been a passion of mine, not doing comedy myself, but right. just comedy. I, I love standup specials and I, I watch a lot of standup specials on Netflix and, um, and iTunes. I'll pay for them on, on iTunes. Whenever I'm in Los Angeles, I go to the comedy store and try to see their lineup. Um, Eliza Schlesinger, Dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. uh, David Spade yeah. and, and Bill Burr, all of these folks who drop in and that are paid regulars at the comedy store and the laugh factory. Uh, I try to stay tuned into whatever's happening in comedy because, uh, I, I find that comics are, um, some of the most fascinating performers because what they're doing seems more vulnerable mm -hmm. than just about anything that other artists are doing out there. I mean, I, I don't want to say that, you know, it's, you're not being vulnerable when you're acting or when you're directing or when you're painting, there's vulnerability. And whenever you're putting yourself out there creatively, there's vulnerability to that. Sure. But for me to watch a comedian, especially live be front, you know, front uh, row of the comedy store in the original room, really small room and to see a comic that you may not have ever heard of get up on stage and try out new material. Or maybe it's not new material. Maybe it's old material, but they're trying it on a new audience. Mm -hmm. and, and it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you're like, you're kind of on the edge of your seat. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh shit, you're rooting for them because you don't want them to bomb. No. Because bombing makes everybody feel awkward. Uh, you know, you want, you're, you want them to do well. You want them to make you laugh. You don't want to see someone fail on stage. But just imagine being that person. Mm -hmm. It's like you you tell a joke and you have immediate feedback <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know exactly whether it landed or it fell flat 
Totally. And and so that that is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't had an opportunity to talk to a comic yet, but I want to talk to multiple comics to really understand that world and that mindset and how they're able to overcome the fear that I think would be there for anybody to get up on stage and put yourself out, out there like that. Completely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, as far as, and I'll just, just tell you just from my little bit of experience being on stage and, and playing an instrument, um, there's always butterflies. It's nervousness beforehand. But once you get out there and get going, and the thing for me is I have an instrument to hide behind. Right. I'm not actually, I, I understand that vulnerability that you're talking about because you're naked up there with, you're just up there with a microphone. <laughs> you're spilling your heart out to these people. And, you know, like you said, edge of your seat, you know, you don't know, is this thing going to work? Are people going to laugh at this? Or are they just, is it just silence? Right. And that's scary. Yeah. It's really scary for me to think about because, you know, with, with you know, playing in a band and I've, I've played in a band and I've been on stage and the, the people that are in the audience, they're going there to hear music mm-hmm. and you're giving them that music and you know, the feedback that you're getting, you probably can tell if they're enjoying themselves, you know, they'll clap oh, yeah. their clap or dance or move their body or whatever. And you get a sense of whether you're delivering what the, what they expected with comedy, that immediate feedback that you get is a, a, a slap in the face <laughs> through <laughs> silence <laughs> or uh, praise through laughter and it is so either on or off and it just scares the shit out of me <laughs> to think about preparing the, these jokes but to to prepare that material and show up on stage and just put it out there and wait for people to give you that feedback it's got to be a huge high if it works yeah and it and i'm just wondering what that what that low feels like. What does the bomb feel like? It's gotta be terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been rejected before, you know, we've all been rejected (laughs) in our personal lives, Yep. but to be rejected by this room full of people who came to, they paid to see you. All they want from you is to laugh, Mm -hmm. make me laugh. (laughs) And so, yeah, I absolutely want to talk to comics and uh, I'm hoping to um, establish some relationships with various comedy clubs in the Pacific Northwest and in Los Angeles so I can hopefully make those connections and start talking to them. So I'll ask you one, um, one more and kind of personal question. Yeah. Um, and this is related to your dad, if you don't mind. That's fine. Uh, your, your dad, as people may know in the, in the podcast, if they've listened to all of them or are listening to them know that your dad used to be a, a, a chartered pilot, right? Right. And used to fly around various people and rock bands, including heart, Def Leppard, and a couple of other bands. I think John Cougar, John Cougar, uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell. Uh, yeah, he, he flew a lot of entertainers, Bob Hope. Oh, Bob Hope. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, how do you feel his legacy has helped you? or not helped you in your life? Well, um, he had quite a legacy, uh, not as a entertainer or a famous person, but he had a huge impact on me uh, because he was such a 
bigger than life character. And the life that he lived was pretty exotic and adventurous and uh, intriguing. And everybody wanted to know what he was doing. All my friends, you know, who's he flying now? And, um, and it was always somebody interesting and exciting. And so he, he did take me on some of his journeys with him. I got to meet, um, some of the bands backstage at concerts. Um, I met Hart several times. Um, and I think I talk about that with my interview with, um, Roger and Michael Fisher. Yeah. And what that legacy did for me, I think was to inspire me to talk to the very people that he had relationships with so that I could get to know him better because I didn't know him that well. Mm. You know, I knew he was on the road a lot. And so one of the reasons that I selfishly wanted to talk to Roger Fisher from heart and Michael Fisher, uh, one of the reasons, even though I respect them greatly as musicians and the work that they've done and they absolutely deserve to be interviewed in their own right. But one of my personal reasons for wanting to reach out to them was that they knew my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, they could tell me something that I didn't know about my dad. And they did. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they delivered in that department. Um, so, you know, there was a certain amount of mystery and mystique and almost mythology associated with my dad because he was kind of a legend, you know, (laughs) in some ways he didn't talk a lot about what he did in, in the industry, uh, in the entertainment industry and flying these artists, but you knew who, who he was, uh, carrying around in these private jets and taking to concerts all, all across the country. Um, and he didn't talk a lot about his life in general. I mean, he was a assault helicopter pilot in Vietnam and the 174th assault helicopter company. Um, he was shot down three times, wow. had multiple purple hearts was actually shot, caught malaria while running from the enemy for three days in the jungle. When he ran out of malaria medication, Jeez. he got all kinds of, um, you know, all kinds of medals for his service in the military, but he never talked about it and he mm-hmm. refused to talk about it. So, mm-hmm that type of character in your life where you know that he has done incredible things and he's had all of these adventures in his life, but he's not willing to talk about them or share them. How do you find out about someone like that? Like how do you investigate and learn about someone that's so close to you, like your father, you know? And, and so, you know, that's, that's what I am trying to do in part by talking to the creatives that knew my dad. Um, for instance, my dad knew Cameron Crowe uh, because Cameron was married to Nancy Wilson, who was That's right. the guitarist for Heart. That's right. And um, Cameron would hang back with my dad at the tarmac. And you know, Cameron was not a partier. My dad really wasn't um, into the after parties at uh, after the concerts, the heart concerts, he, he would hang back with my dad, Cameron would. And I actually met Cameron backstage at a heart concert in Texas one time. Um, so I did reach out to Cameron and he wasn't able to talk to me because he doesn't do podcast interviews, at least not right now. He's super busy with, uh, with the, um, almost famous 
uh, musical that he's put together that oh, just I... you know just started in um, in uh, San Diego. I didn't know that. That's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It just the opening night was I think Friday night, and um, and and I did reach out to him not only because I fucking love his movies, <laughs> and I think he's a fantastic screenwriter and director, film director, but he knew my dad. You know, so it, it is my dad's legacy is influencing me a little bit, uh, maybe a lot in terms of what's motivating me in terms of who to talk to. But I also uh, think that I think that my dad was such a larger than life character and I did not feel larger than life at all. <laughs> you know, I felt smaller than life <laughs> compared to him and everything that he had accomplished. So in in a way, he is someone to aspire to be like because he was so charming and he was so charismatic and he was someone that I wanted to be, you know? I mean, that's the way a lot of father-son relationships, I think, are. Absolutely. You know, and that's just the nature of, you know, kids, the way they look up to their parents and whatever. But um, his his ability to operate in that universe of, you know, working with creatives. And even though he was uh, flying them around, he wasn't working with them creatively. It still made it seem possible to me that, Hey, maybe I can be that creative person too. And, um, so I don't know, I haven't really thought about it as almost turned into a therapy session, but, uh, <laughs> but I haven't really thought that much and maybe I should, but I haven't thought a lot about how he has how his legacy has influenced me or the podcast. But off the top of my head, that's what I'm thinking about right now. You know, what did he leave behind? Um, and, and how did it, you know, how did it not affect the podcast? I, mean, I think that that was another part of your question. How did it affect it or not affect, not affect it, it? You know, yeah. uh, and I, I think that I'm just a, a very different person than my dad. You know, I, I took a very different journey, different path than him in life. And uh, I don't really see myself right now uh, trying to be him necessarily, but I do aspire to have a lot of his qualities. And, and you know, some of his qualities were, he was not a perfect man. He was a very flawed individual in some ways. But the things that were great about him are the things that I'm trying to improve upon in my life mm -hmm. and be more like him. For instance um, charisma. I'm fascinated with the, the whole concept of charisma <laughs> and what that is. And you and I were talking about charisma the other day, right? Like what is charisma? We looked it up, looked up the definition. We kind of know what it is, but how do you define it? Right. Well, it's, it's charm. It's, it's sort of a, uh, it's a presence that you have that mm -hmm. is attractive. Yep. So when you walk in a room, you know, who has charisma and who doesn't, even if they're not, talking <laughs> even if they're not engaging with you, you you just look around a room and you just kind of know who has charisma certain people and have a certain kind of swagger i want to be around that person yeah you know and so that's something that i think a lot about with podcasting is um i want to i want to be charismatic because i want people to be attracted to me in terms of um, me as a speaker and a host um, and I want them to feel comfortable and I want them to listen, you know? So how do you do that? 
and I looked to my dad in some ways, you know, uh, he was one of the most charismatic people I I've ever met. And, um, his friends will tell you that too. I mean, this is a guy that was in charge as soon as, as soon as he walks into a room, it's like, okay, that guy's in charge <laughs> and he was funny. And, um, you know, I looked at charisma in terms of like who, who has so much charisma that it, it's almost oozing off of their presence. It's someone like Jack Black, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. he can like lift up one eyebrow and make you laugh, you know, one little facial expression and you're just laughing uncontrollably. Yeah, that would be a hard interview for me, like with Jack Black, because I'd be laughing all the time. Yeah, if he just does the Nacho Libre thing once, I'm I'm done. Right. Yeah. I know. So, and and my dad, I'm not saying that my dad was like a comedian, but he was really he had a really good sense of humor, really funny, and he had this charm and charisma, you know. And so th- that's a legacy that he left in in my life is just someone that I, I aspire to be in that way. And there's other parts about his life that, you know, I, I hope I never, <laughs> I, I hope I never, uh, am like him in those ways, but that's, that's what happens with parents. When you, when you get to a certain age, our age, and we look back on our own lives and our parents' lives and we realize that our parents were not perfect people. Oh yeah. And, and that's a, a tough moment, a tough realization but once you are at peace with that, you can accept it and you just accept all of the assets that they brought to the equation and all of the terrible shit that they bought, brought to the equation too. And you're just like, this is just the way it was. It's just part of life. They did their best. Yes. I think everybody does their best, hopefully. And you can't fault that person for not living up to everything that you wanted them to be, you know, as a parent or a friend. And, and I think that's part of, it's part of maturing into an adult, mm-hmm. you know, into adulthood is that realization. And I think we can be more at peace that way too. Cause otherwise you're just holding on to bitterness and resentment, right? Yeah. It's like, God damn it. You know, <laughs> why did he do this to me? Why did he say that? Why did he hurt me that way? Um, you know, we all have, those anecdotes from our childhood or our teenage years or twenties or thirties when a parent let us down, said the wrong thing. But, you know, I tried to hold on to the, you know, the things that were awesome, you know, and, and appreciate those about both my parents. Um, but you're, we were talking about my dad. So that's why I talk so much about my dad. We're having a therapy session with Dr. Jason Moore. <laughs> no. Yeah. So do you see technologically a way to interview more than just a couple of people at the same time? Um, and also logistically, just in terms of having a conversation, do you, do you see, for instance, if I want to interview an entire band, like a four piece or five piece band, mm. you know, how would, a, how would we accomplish that? You know, well, the setting you have right here, right now, if we could do it in a situation where we're at, but nobody, you know, that's, that's listening knows where we're at. Yeah. We're actually in your, like one of the main offices in your law firm, right? Right. Have them all sitting here with a microphone. Like a big conference room table. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you have the ability to do four? Six, actually. Six. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We could do it. 
Six. You want to get Def Leppard in here? <laughs> I'd love to get Def Leppard. Me in too. Here. Yeah. Or actually, you know, go down to, well, go to Great Britain if that's where they're at, you know. Sure. And Can I go? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't leave you out of that. I got to go uh, do the Roger Fisher one with you. I thought that was fun. Yeah. It was fun, but it was interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was a challenge. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that space that we were in was uh, echoey creaky old barn mm-hmm. plus we had two guests that was the first time we were interviewing two people at the same time yep and figuring out the logistics of that we've been talking to creatives from all industries mm-hmm. asking them about their journey into their career in the arts i don't think i've heard any redundancy uh, amongst these guests in other words they all have very specific unique journeys and to me they're all fascinating Uh, but do do you see a point maybe a year from now maybe five years from now where we are we've already learned as much as we're going to learn and that we're we're going to have to move on to a different type of format or a different theme in this type of podcast setting um no i i think like you said everybody's journeys everybody's journey is different and everybody goes through different stuff in the creative world, whether they're musicians, artists, you know, painters. Everybody's uh, journey is is different from the other people. A lot of you know, you're you're going to notice, like when you talk to a couple of people, there will be similarities in their in their uh, process of what they had to do to get where they're at, and that kind of stuff. But I think I think everybody's so different in the way they approach life that you're going to, you're going to hear new things each time. You're going to hear more interesting things from each person. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I, I think that's where I'm coming from as well is that I don't really see this becoming a redundant exercise Mm -hmm. because of that uniqueness of everyone's journey. And, you know, I, for one am fascinated to hear it every single time mm-hmm. I talk to someone about their path into the arts. I am genuinely fascinated and curious and I am grateful that they share it with me. I mean, I hope it stays that way. Yeah. And I guess, uh, if it doesn't stay that way and it becomes, uh, in some ways, um, redundant or boring or just not very, interesting i guess we can you know switch it up yeah switch it up and kind of move in a different direction but until then i'm really excited about where this is going me too yeah we could always go into politics (laughs) and that would really be redundant Uh, (laughs) possible yeah you know right well yeah i'm gonna stay out of politics but if you want to run no 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 i'll be your campaign manager (laughs) I don't have what it takes to do that kind of. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it was good talking to you. Jason Moore, um, editor, producer, and um, consultant extraordinaire. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time, and as always, go find your dream path.